Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pitcast, brought to you by the Pit Crew Online, from the fans for the fans. I'm your host, Deputy Editor James, and in today's episode we're going to be discussing Renault's transformation into the Alpine F1 team, and whether Alpine can succeed where Renault couldn't. Joining me today is our BTCC editor and font of F1 knowledge, Aaron. Alright guys, Nolan. <laughs> And our F1 and IndyCar correspondent, Adam. Hi, guys. So we're talking about Alpine today because they're one of the teams that have given us quite a bit of news over the winter. And as if it wasn't enough that they rebranded the team and coaxed Fernando Alonso out of retirement to spearhead that, it was also announced this month that Cyril Abitable will not be Alpine's team principal and CEO in 2021. He's been replaced as CEO by Laurent Rossi, the Renault Group's former chief strategy officer while Renault's executive director, Marcin Budkowski, is expected to take over as team principal. And then on top of that, Alpine went and made another heavyweight signing to bring Suzuki's MotoGP team manager, Davide Brivio, over as their new racing director. Let's hope I haven't butchered any of those names. <laughs> now, <I've> Sorry, already... <laughs> James. Sorry, James. Is that the, uh, the young driver, uh, notably, joining the Alpine team? Uh, the famous young driver that everyone was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the the only, what is it? You've only competed in two world championships and won them both. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've already written a piece on why I think all of these changes are good for Alpine's future, and we'll stick a cheeky link to that below if you're watching this on YouTube. But I want to hear what you two think, because we've been in lockdown for far too long and I've heard my own opinion too much. So... If we're going to talk about whether Alpine can succeed where Renault didn't, we should probably start with how Renault's latest F1 stint has gone. If you cast your mind back to 2016, when Cyril Abitable said the team's aims were to be fighting for podiums and wins within a few years, and then the championship this year. But obviously, despite signing big-name drivers like Nico Hülkenberg, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo, Esteban Ocon, those plans haven't come together. So Adam, I'll start you off with the big question. Why do you think Renault has fallen short of these goals in the last five years? Wow, what a, what a bombshell to start on. <laughs> I mean, I hope I can live up to expectation. I'll, I'll try. But um, I, it's, it's a combination of many factors for one thing. And, I, and I, I actually am not as pessimistic or negative as much about how Renault have done, especially in 2020. I actually think they've done a consistent and quite a good improvement on some of their previous years. But I think we all have to sort of go back a few years to a point where Renault made a five-year point plan where I think to a, I think in about 2021, they were hoping to break into the top three and be at least challenging for race wins and pod consistent podiums. And they've sort of only just managed to scratch the surface on that. They've not gotten to the point of breaking into the top three. However, they certainly have gotten to the point where they've started to challenge for more consistent podiums. So in a way, they have actually had quite a bit of success, but certainly some aerodynamic and technical um, flaws in their 2019 car has sort of led to some inconsistency with their 2020 car. And certainly with the technical regulations being extended into 2022, I think we should all give them maybe a bit of leeway on that five-year plan and maybe extend it to maybe a seven or eight-year plan. But I think if we cast our minds back to 2019, um, the, the Renault car was quite interesting. It was it was an inconsistent car, to say the least. Sometimes it would be best of the rest. Sometimes it would be sort of skirting, just trying to get into Q3. And I think it was all sort of dependent on whether the, tr whether the car suited the track specifications. 
And um, the car seemed to suit a sort of low drag, sort of low down, or sorry, high drag, low down force um, tracks, maybe say Monza. Um, they got a really good, really good result at uh, Monza in 2019, which they replicated in 2020. Um, and I think this sort of, this sort of, uh, that design sort of stemmed from a flaw in the uh, the front wing um, where they uh, where they focus quite heavily on uh, this massive outwash effect, which um, which uh, sort of gave them a lot of instability. And they spent a lot of time developing the, the barge board area in 2019, which didn't really work as well as they hoped. Um, so they spent a lot of time in basically a locked in design, which they couldn't change. But luckily in 2020, they actually went forward with a pretty good car sort of post Silverstone, maybe race to Silverstone. I think they they sort of made a breakthrough around the free practice sessions and they sort of told everyone that they found this magic breakthrough in, in the setup design, which gave them much better rear grip. And from that point on, we start, started to see a lot more consistent consistency with their results. And from Nürburgring onwards, they were practically uh, one, of the best, one of the best teams behind Mercedes and Red Bull. And um, and that result at Nürburgring was quite significant because it was a high downfall circuit that they got a good result on. So it showed that their car was starting to find a bigger window of operation to work in. So actually, I think they're sort of on the right track um, to give you a really long winded explanation. And I'll probably I'll probably let Aaron jump in if he wants to add anything. But I think they've the the car was solid in 2020. And I think they've got a good springboard to to go on in 2021. That is a very good point about the, um, you know, their target said 2021, they would be challenging for wins and maybe the championship. And obviously that was depending on the uh, the 2021 regulations, which are now the 2022 regulations. So yeah, perhaps we should give them a bit of leeway in that. Yeah. But Aaron, what do you think on how Renault's performed in its five years coming back? I mean, they've been underwhelming when you consider it to the last stint they had in the mid mid 2000s when obviously young man Alonso on the title um, but yeah I mean it said it's up points like last last season with a few podiums for uh, Danny Rick and Ocon um, but yeah like like Adam has very eloquently put it all out there and I would uh, agree with it really and they've been underwhelming for me but like I said it's all been part of a plan and maybe it's going to come to fruition next couple of years yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd like to add to that. I mean, I guess, yeah, when you when you compare it to the likes of McLaren, who've just sort of had this exponential rise through the rankings and the likes of Alpha Tori making a big gain, I suppose with the resource that Renault have behind them, I guess you could argue that their results are actually pretty, pretty insignificant. They, a, a team of that size should really be aiming for something more than just a few podiums. And they've had the time and the and the space to be able to work on this. So, yeah, I can I could see the counter argument where maybe yeah maybe they haven't been quite as good as maybe maybe we yeah they hope they are. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because for any if they weren't a manufacturer team like Renault, you know, if they were just a team that took over the ruins of Lotus, going from um, sort of the bottom of the championship in 2016 or near the bottom to them being what was it sixth I think the following year and then up to fourth mm. and you know, getting multiple podiums last year. For any other team, you consider that a pretty good spring back. You know, if it was Lotus carrying on and managing to get back to that position, it'd be great. But yeah, for a works team, it's, like Aaron said, it is a little bit underwhelming. Um, I think there is a caveat in that, I believe when they came back, Cyril said 
his pitch for bringing Renault back was that they could do it on a much lower budget compared to the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. So I don't think they've been operating under the same kind of financial mm. firepower as the other teams. I, I You know, you see Racing Point now with the investment they have, and especially going into 2021, um, 2021 they've already got a title sponsor. Um, and Renault or Alpine don't seem to have that quite the same that same backing or that same level of investment going into to Alpine I mean I mean of course they have a sort of a, a portion of it which is government back so it's going to be substantial but in terms of just the number of resources and the number of investors they don't seem to have that public confidence that say a, an Aston Martin have right now so yeah it's it's it's, it's strange it's it reminds strange. me a little bit of when Mercedes came back because they came back in 2010 and with you know, Mercedes really underestimated how much money it took to get the team up. Um, and it was really kind of in 2011, 2012 that the Mercedes board backed a large injection of funding and it's paid off. Sometimes money is just what you need in Formula One. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> so over the last few years, a lot of the flack for Renault's performance has gone the way of Cyril Abitable, who, as we said at the top of the episode, has departed. He was expected to stay on as Alpine's uh, CEO and team principal this year but it was announced in the middle of January in a shock decision that he has now gone. A lot of people have been calling for him to leave the team before now, whether that's justified or not. Aaron, do you think that uh, Abitable's departure from Alpine will be good for the team in the sense that it could give them a fresh start or a new direction? Or do you think he did a good job in charge of Renault and should have stayed on for the transition at least? I mean, I think he did as good a job as he, as he could do with what he had. I mean, I think... Yeah, it's the right decision for him to go because, like you say, it's a, it's a fresh start, fresh team. You know, everything can be clean slate and go on in this new direction. But, I mean, he was all right. Like I said, they got some results eventually, but I don't know. He did all right for me. Just very middle of the road. He didn't exceed. He didn't underwhelm. He, he was just all right for me. <laughs> he, had, he, had a bit of a, he had a bit of an interesting one with drivers. And a tip with uh, Christian Horner as well. Yeah, he's very good at bringing drivers into the team, not very good at keeping them there. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this is something we were talking about sort of in prep for this, where the the sort of failed Ricardo project that Ibitable um sort of started and maybe died on his uh, died on his shield uh, t- trying to keep alive really. Um you, you know, I can only imagine that the amount of uh the amount of meetings, the amount of chats the amount of money that went into giving the support to Bitable to go and bring Ricardo from Rebel must have been extraordinary. You can imagine that the board um put all of their effort into doing it. And for 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 him to leave within two years of that doesn't show a lot of ambition from Renault to be to be honest. And and it shows a little bit of mismanagement from Abitable, you could argue, um, him not providing Ricardo with the hope going forward for him to stay with the project. So the fact that, and the fact that it seems their lineup chops and changes most years, as James, you mentioned, you know, Sainz, Palmer, Hulkenberg, Ricardo, Ocon, Alonso, it just seems to be this churning, um, this this little Catherine wheel of drivers been spat out at a rate of knots. And that can't be good for a team, especially when they're trying to develop a car um, for the long term. I think actually, yeah, they haven't kept the same lineup um, from one year to the next since they've come back to F1, which is quite surprising for a for a works team like that. I mean, it's, it's worse than Red Bull. 
I mean, people people go on at Red Bull for being a being a sort of driver machine that spits them out. But look at Renault. Look at what they do with their drivers. It's it's um it's quite extraordinary. And you can't imagine a driver going into Renault with that much confidence that they're going to have longevity. In, in <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, it was something we spoke about. Um, Aaron and I spoke about it with Luca in our season review episode at the end of last year. Um, you know, Ocon came back into the team as someone that Renault were heralding as, you know, a driver they really wanted, a driver they really valued. And now by the end of his first season back with the team, there's rumours that they're looking at Pierre Gasly instead for the future. Um, you know, Alonso's only signed a two-year deal and he's been quite clear that he's probably going to, those are probably going to be his last two years in F1. So yeah, it doesn't look like there's going to be stability in that sense um, in the near mm. future either. Mm. How much do you think that that is a result of you know Abitable's management? Um, it's it's difficult to say. Um, it's I think Abitable has has done what he can in terms of in terms of development. Obviously, we've mentioned that there have been issues with drivers and issues with aero development for that car. He has provided a, a foundation. Let's put it that way to to go on from. I think um, in the future, and I think we'll go on. Uh, to discuss some of the replacements and some of the people who go into those structural changes to lead the team forward. But I think he's he's sort of built a foundation in which people can move into the right roles and then take the team forward. And um, yeah, I mean, there's not really much, much more to add. Um, for me, he's, he's mismanaged some drivers, um, but... He's also been quite positive in that he he was able to bring Ricardo in the first place. And he, but saying that, um, you you've got to look also look at the Renault project in terms of their engine development and look at how how many teams on that grid are actually supplied by Renault engine at this point. It's it's dwindling, let's to say the very least. Um, and for Renault to sort of lose all of their customer teams um, as well, being McLaren being primarily the the only one. Uh, going into last season and next year it will just be Renault it, will, it won't have any customer teams and that's slightly shocking as well given that that relationship with Red, Red Bull broke down in the first place a few years ago so I guess if you were to look at it from a you know hindsight yeah maybe there has been quite a lot of quite a lot of bad judgments or or bad controversies it's a good point as well about um yeah Renault's sort of involvement beyond just the works team because they they made a big deal about coming in with um, you know re-establishing themselves as this sort of heritage brand in F1, and then like you said, they dwindled to just the McLaren supply. Now McLaren's going back to Mercedes. There have been rumours that they've spoken to Haas about a future engine deal, but uh, Haas have stuck with Ferrari. I've heard they've even approached Sauber, but obviously Sauber have strengthened their ties with Alfa Romeo and Ferrari. How much do you think that? You know, like I said, Abitable gets a lot of flack because he's obviously the the kind of the face of the Renault project. But how much do you think that the Renault board itself perhaps needs to... It feels like sometimes they're kind of dragging their feet a bit with this project. Like they did their big um, their big kind of Renault strategy launch this month, their big Renault-lution, they called it. And the, the Alpine F1 team, even though they said it was spearheading Renault's new strategy, it was kind of the car was almost pushed off to the side of the stage and it was barely mentioned in the presentation at all. Do you think that the Renault board does need to essentially stump up a bit more cash and a bit more enthusiasm for the project to 
get it up to the next stage? Yeah, I mean, the, the money you have to spend in F1 nowadays is ridiculous, as we all know. Um, and like you said earlier, Mercedes sort of realised that and you know said, all right then, there's your, there's an open checkbook, crack on, make us a title-winning car. Um, I think Renault or Alpine or whatever they want to be called now, I think they need to do the same thing. I think they need to have a get behind the projects, you know, fully 100% car and all and everything or... You know, if you're going to scale it back, scale it back. Don't like go in there, sort of promising things and then not being able to deliver on them because otherwise, fans are just going to be you know disappointed again. Um, if this is like the clean slate and this new future they want to push, then they should go into it with a new attitude and you know really push for this. If they want to get into the top three or top two, as it seems to be now, Ferrari have fell off face of the F, um, then. They should uh, really push for it because there's a, a spot there that's waiting to be taken. As we said at the beginning of the episode, uh, filling Abitable's place is Laurent Rossi as the new CEO of the Alpine F1 team. Davide Brivio is coming in as the new racing director from MotoGP. And Martin Bukowski, the team's current executive director, is expected to be their new team principal. That's still rumour at the moment. Adam, what do you make of these appointments and this reshuffle at the top of Alpine? Do you think that they're putting the right people in place to take over from Abitable? Um, well, firstly, I think Renault slash Alpine now have had a lot of trouble with finding the the right structure for them and what works for them. Um, I think you'll remember a few years ago they had Fras, um, Fred Vasseur working at Renault um, and he, he was... Um, sort of the racing director, managing directory type role there and took on quite a quite a number of roles in that position. And he was only there for about a season before he left and before um, Abitable came in and replaced him. Um, and since then, I think I think there's been sort of a, a, a struggle with trying to figure out how best to run run the team. Um, but Budkowski is a really interesting um a really interesting person to talk about because he's already been involved with the project for quite a while. And I think he has quite an intimate knowledge of Renault already. Um, he sort of was that go between in between Abitable and the trackside performance, kind of, kind of like how Zach Brown sort of connected Andrew Seidel to the rest of the, the higher echelons of McLaren. So Budkowski really already knows intent, intensely how the team operates and, and how that translates to being accountable to the upper management. So I think Bukowski is actually going to slip in quite quite quickly and quite efficiently to the role and hit the ground running. Um, and uh, and it seems like they're bringing in all these other appointments to sort of delegate um, roles um, quite efficiently. So may, maybe it'll work for them. I think, uh, James, we I mean, we were all talking actually about is the traditional team principal role going in F1? Um, you know, we saw Toto Wolf and uh, Nicky Lauder and um, oh, the name 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 escapes me. Um, Paddy Lowe um, took over Mercedes, sort of delegating a number of managerial positions, um, which seemed to work really well. Um, and maybe maybe this will have a similar effect at, at Alpine. Um, and I think the thing we saw, uh, the the thing we see working well at McLaren, especially now is the fact that I think Zach Brown has been able to give people like Andrea Seidel, James Key, and other relevant uh, managed, management in McLaren the autonomy to be able to work on with confidence, knowing that they they have the uh, backing 
of the management and they're able to do things their own way without uh, too much scrutiny. Um, maybe that'll work with Alpine. Maybe all of these people coming in will be able to gel really nicely, but yet be able to work really efficiently and or, or with autonomy. Um, I can't say I know too much about the other appointments. Um, uh, remind me, James, who are the other two? Uh, we really should have got someone from our MotoGP from Cruel yeah. 2, shouldn't we, to talk about uh, Brivio? So there's Lauren Rossi, who I don't think many people have heard of. Um, he He's worked with Renault before. He's also, I think he worked with Renault as an engineer, then moved mm. to Google to work with their corporate strategy and then came back to Renault in recent years. And he's been their chief strategy officer. So he's right. been in charge of sort of their corporate strategies, um, moving the company forward. Mm. So in okay. the role of... Um, taking over the role of the CEO of the Alpine F1 team, he seems a good fit because he can just concentrate on the kind of commercial side. Mm, um, mm. Whereas Budkowski, if he does take the team principal role, can do the the day to day running of the team. Mm. And then you've got Davide Brivio, who was team manager for recently for Suzuki in MotoGP and took them to the manufacturers and drivers title last year. Previously with Yamaha as well, where he won titles uh, during um, Valentino Rossi's time at the team. So he comes in very highly regarded. And with Brivio, I believe the a lot of the buzz around him is the fact that when he's worked with Suzuki and Yamaha, they've both um, they've both operated with sort of an operations base in Italy and also then in Japan. And he's been quite good at bringing those two um, sides of the business together to create an efficient team, which I believe is yeah. something Renault wants, where they've got obviously the base at Endstone and then the the Renault engine department over at Fury. Maybe, maybe that'll work quite well then. Uh, he sounds like he brings an incredible amount of experience to the role, sort of that same effect of bringing Andrew Seidel into McLaren. Um, sometimes you just have to outsource and, and bring people in externally to, to bolster your team. And um, I, I mean, one thing I will <clears> say is it's quite good that they're doing that change now as opposed to at the end of this season, um, you, you know, one could argue that the 2020 season is a, is a bit of a, a nothing season, sort of a continuation of last year, where basically you have that time afforded to you if you need to, to, to make changes, to make any changes to the team structure heading into 2022. Um, I think we, we'd all be, or at least Alpine would be even more worried if at the end of 2021 season, they'd have dropped a bit of all and had to start afresh going into all the technical regulations. So at least these guys will have a year's experience to gel with with the team and to um, to have a hand in propelling the uh, 2022 car forward. Very good. I was literally going to throw that question that you just <laughs> provided the answer for to Aaron. Sorry. <laughs> you can ask it to Aaron. I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, it is quite interesting that we've got, obviously, Renault rebranding as Alpine this year. And at the same time, we've got Racing Point rebranding as Aston. And where Alpine's having this big uh, reshuffle at the top, Al uh, Aston Martin has stayed effectively the same with Otmar Zafnauer still running the team, Lawrence Stroll still uh, in charge of the ownership and everything. They've got a very kind of smooth transition. And I was going to say, do you think it, um, you know, do you think this is perhaps the best year for Alpine to put these big changes in place when effectively, yeah, the car is pretty much the same. Everything's kind of stable going into this year. The, whoever takes over the new leadership roles, they don't have to worry about what if the car's underperforming, what if it's, you know, suddenly uh, not getting the results. Do you think this is the best time they can put these foundations in place, Aaron? 
Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Racing Point. I think the reason they haven't changed anything is because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, you know, Checo picked up the win and I think Landstro got a, a pole position in Turkey. So something's clearly they're clearly going in the right direction. So it, it makes sense for Aston Martin just to come in and continue that work on. Whereas at Renault, there's, there was clearly work still to be done. So with Alpine coming in, they may as well just start fresh. And like Adam says, it's essentially enough in season um you know it's the same regulations it's going to be the, the same as it was last year i think so it's it's a good time for him to get bedded in see what works see what doesn't get any teething issues out of the way now and then when the brand new car comes with the regulations next year it's hopefully going to be a lot smoother doesn't of course the the other factor that we have to discuss in alpine success or chance of success is their driver lineup? They're going into this into 2021 with Fernando Alonso coming back out of retirement alongside Esteban Ocon, and it's it's a lineup that I think is fair to say has split the room with motorsport fans. Aaron, you had some pretty strong thoughts about it in our, um, as I said, in our end of season review at the end of last year. So I'm going to ask you first. Alonso is definitely one of the finest racing drivers in the world, but he's also been out of F1 for two years now. What do you think Alpine can expect from Alonso this year? I mean, yeah, I was quite vocal about it, but I've, I've had time to reflect since then. The positive for Alonso, I think, is that he has, like you say, he's one of the best drivers in the world. Um, there's no arguing that. Um, and he brings a wealth of experience. You know, he's been in and around F1 for 20 years now, um, especially at Endstone. He's, you know, he won his titles there 15 years ago. and you know, he does bring experience in, but is it the right move? I don't know. I think personally, I'd have brought him in as like a an advisor, a bit like what Williams have done with Jensen Button. You know, he's got experience to pass on, so he may as well get two sort of quick, you know, I'm not saying Alonso's not quick, but younger drivers in there that they can build a future on. So if it was Gasly, for example, you got him and Ocon in them cars. They're both young, quick. There's experience to be given to them. They'd be going in the right direction with someone, you know, learning under like Alonso, for example, for me. It's an excellent point about him going in as an advisor. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of his contract he stays on for another few years. Like, um, I believe Schumacher did that with Ferrari, didn't he, when he retired to begin with. Adam, what are your thoughts on what Alonso can bring to the team this year? So... Um, I think that Alonso will bring um, probably a lot of adaptability to the team. Um, Alonso is someone who can wrestle the best out of the car um, in a wide window of, of, um, of traits and driving styles and, and setups. And he's had so much experience in the last couple of years in IndyCar, in WEC, in the Dakar, in, in so many series that I think he's become this quite all-round driver at this point. Um, the jury's out um, how quick he's going to be in Formula One. Um, I don't think there's many doubts that he's going to be quick. Um, but as in terms of developing a car, I don't think there's any there's any doubt that he's quite an astute and quite intelligent driver and will be able to advise uh, Alpine in the long run of, of where to go and how to get the best out of this car. And I think that's going to be the main difference between him and Esteban Ocon is that Alonso is going to be able to drag something out of a really poor car 
whereas Ocon may not be able to do that and he may have to have everything working perfectly for him to get the best out of himself. And I think by that logic, I think we're going to see Alonso potentially maybe be a little bit more consistent than, than Ocon across this season. That, now, that's just conjecture. That, that, that might not be right, but I think maybe if you look at Alonso historically, that's sort of how he goes. It's going to be very interesting seeing how Ocon matches up against Alonso because at the end of, you know, Ocon started last year and obviously he'd been out of F1 for a little bit and he looked rusty. He looked like he was taking a while to find his feet. But by the end of the year, he was quite close to Ricardo, not necessarily matching him every weekend, but you could see a definite upward curve there. And I do wonder if Ricardo had stayed for one more year, whether we would have seen a much, much closer battle between the two of them. But yes, um, I, th- I feel like the thing with Alonso for me is that he he said before, like I said earlier in the episode, that these are going to be his last two um, years in, in F1. So I, I do wonder, even though he does bring that wealth of experience, I feel like he's not going to, he's going to be focusing completely on 2022 this year. And I wonder what happens if he then gets to 2022 winter testing and Alpine have either not gone forward or made a clear step backwards. How much his attention is going to be there for the rest of the team compared to if they had someone like Gasly, like Aaron said. Yeah, I, I think this is going to have a really big effect on Ocon's career, um, especially the perception of Ocon as as a number two driver for, for the foreseeable future. Um, we've seen how fans can be quite uh, quick to judge a driver, quite based on you know the driver head-to-heads throughout their career. Um, and going up against someone like Ricardo was quite a challenge last year for Ocon. Um, and he, as you said, James, he did, he, he slowly got a little bit better. Um, but when you're going up, with someone against the experience and the speed of Ricardo, it's sometimes maybe, yeah, he was always going to come short. And now a lot of people um, slightly have Ocon a little bit less in their, in their ratings uh, across the whole F1 grid. And I think this year Ocon has to seize the moment to be able to use the experience he's had in the team, to use the experience he's had with the traits of the car uh, to be able to beat Alonso, because if he doesn't, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for people to see him as nothing but a backup driver um, going forward, especially if Gasly comes in in a few years' time. We've seen how highly rated he is. Um, it, it could be make or break this year for Ocon. Do you agree with that, Aaron, that it's a make or break season for Ocon? Yeah, I mean, like like Adam says, people just think he's a number two driver. If I mean, it's not easy going up against anyone, but Alonso is a quality driver so it's going to be hard for him um, but hey Nico Rosberg did it he was under Schumacher and blossomed and fight, fought against Hamilton quite well and won a title so you know it could go that way for Ocon or it could go the other way where like we say he's just going to be a perennial number two for the rest of his career yeah we've, we've certainly seen his his relationship with the team improve because remember we saw that big that big breakdown at Monza where he just mm. shouted across the radio and it, <laughs> it was just all over social media I think I think there was a there was a moment after that race where um he he found a better way of working with the team and I think that helped him to get the best performance out of himself going into the second half of the season which we saw um yeah I I'm I'm not entirely convinced that he's going to beat Alonso but I certainly hope so for for his sake it's almost like he just needed to get that frustration from the first half of the year out just to kind of clear the air a bit so a, qu- a quick fire just before we wrap up Aaron, I'm going to start with you. How long do you think it'll be before we see Alpine contending for a world championship, if we do? 
Um, well, it's not going to be this year, obviously, because the regulations are much different. I'd like to say in a in a couple of years, if they're really going to go for it and throw everything at it, then yeah, a couple of years. If they're, they're only going to be in there half-heartedly, then no, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. Adam? Well, one thing I will say with Renault is they, they have quite a, a good engine package. Um, we've seen that they have quite a good top speed in all of the speed traps across the across the season on average. Um, so I think they actually have quite a competitive engine. Maybe not to the level of Mercedes, but it, it's there or thereabouts. Um, and I think if they can just nail down that aero deficiency and maybe build a really good chassis, they can be there challenging at the front with the rest of the teams for race wins. Um, they really just do need to throw everything at it and and have a stable structure and driver lineup going forward. And I don't see I don't see them challenging for a title this year. I don't see them challenging for a title next year, if I'm completely honest. Um, but maybe 2023, 2024, it, it, it's it's hard to say. But um you, That's why we're putting you, you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Um, at some point you can see them doing it. It's just when um, and it's how long it's going to take to get there. Um, Pieces are so there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And it, there is a traje- trajectory, um, a steady, steady, steady climb um, year upon year. Um, maybe not last year in terms of the championship position, but definitely in terms of things like podiums, um, especially this year um, and best of the rest in like fourth position in the constructors a couple of years ago. It's It's getting, you know, it's getting there. And last year, the, the best of the rest, you could say it was highly objective. There were at t- different times in the season when a midfield team would be better just purely based on where they were development-wise and track suited, you know, which one suited a track better. So it was quite hit and miss, to be honest, and quite harsh on them finishing where they did last season. And I expect them to really hit the ground running this year and, and continue find their fine form. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. Be sure to leave this episode a like and share it if you enjoyed it and follow the Pitcrew online on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I've been James. You can follow me on Twitter at James16Matthews. Aaron, where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter at Aaron, Aaron Airwin 7 And Adam? You can find me at, at Wheeler underscore deals if you want a healthy dose of theatre, motorsport and, and West Ham United. <laughs> <laughs> it's an eclectic mix. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you out on track.